Hello and welcome to the Evolution of Business podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Brady, and I'm here today with Mary Beth Pott. Mary Beth leads corporate relations for FIFCO USA, uh, formerly North American Breweries. Following a triple bottom line strategy, she works to build the business by focusing on improving the company's environmental and social footprints through investments, volunteerism, and building community in markets where FIFCO USA operates. Prior to coming to FIFCO USA, Mary Beth was a partner who headed the brand public relations practice for Eric Mower & Associates, now the Mower Agency. In this role, she led the FIFCO USA account dating back to 2007. She has a long history with the Genesee Brewery and has played a passionate role in its rebirth. Her goal is to actively work to improve Northeast Rochester for employees, visitors, and residents while supporting and driving Genesee's business. Really, uh, that triple bottom line of how do we impact our community, how are we impacting the people inside of our organization. But as we'll talk about too, it's important to, to turn a profit all to make that all happen. So thanks so much for joining us today, Mary Beth. Thank you for having me. So I think most listeners that are familiar with, with conscious capitalism may have heard of the, the triple bottom line strategy, but for maybe those that haven't or, or those that are new listeners, tell us a little bit about what is a triple bottom line. So a triple bottom line, first and foremost, is a business strategy. It's not a philanthropic strategy. It is a business strategy. So the, the idea is to prioritize people, planet, and profit as a way to conduct your business. Okay, so when when you I, I, it's it's something that that is so so simple uh, to say and and not simple at all to 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 bring actually into into play and and I was thinking about actually I didn't know all that much about the the, the parent company of what was North American Breweries and now now FIFCO USA up until actually reading uh, Raj Sisodia's newer book, The Field Guide to Conscious Capitalism. And it starts off with a, with a case study with, with your CEO of, of FIFCO, uh, Ramon, and talking about that, that triple bottom line strategy. So I was interested in what maybe inspired, do you know, kind of that, that, that folklore of FIFCO? Of, of, did, did FIFCO start with a triple bottom line or, or what made them adopt this, this strategy? I, so I wasn't at the company at sure. the time, but I do know that it actually was born as a corp, out of corporate relations. So my boss, Gisela Sanchez, actually brought it to Ramon as a business idea. And it's interesting that it came out of corporate relations because, as I said, it's a business strategy. So it's all about it actually it actually starts under the premise of understanding all the risks, vulnerabilities and opportunities around your business, talking with the people who can influence your business, so stakeholders, and then building a proactive plan around your business to to um, work against the footprints or the negative impacts of your business. So environmental impacts that your business creates, the, the community impacts that your um, business creates, building a proactive plan to address those. Yeah, that that proactivity is so huge. Uh, you know, one of the ways that there's a lot of ways that you know these triple bottom line or conscious capitalism type of companies really drive ROI. But but one of them certainly is to be proactive about some of those risks that you may take on, or or even whether it's a risk in terms of you know you don't you want to be really aligned with that corporate message that you're putting out and those those advertisements that you're putting out and making sure you're truly living that inside the organization you know you you can maybe stay away from some of the risks of like uh, like a 
VW, for example, right? Like they're putting out these great marketing messages and they, they got in a little bit of trouble for, for maybe not living that to a, to a full extent. So when you're talking about risks and, and vulnerabilities, what are some of the risks and vulnerabilities kind of inherent in, uh, in the brewery type of business that you're a part of? And how does a triple bottom line strategy help you to mitigate some of those risks? So all around our, um, whenever you're producing any product, um, so when a brewery makes beer, there's obvious water, waste, and emissions are three of the negative impacts of that business. So three ways that we work toward addressing those are, one, starting by just understanding the data, so benchmarking where you are, and then always working to reduce it. So that's what you do from a, in your production facility. Okay. From a community perspective, what then you can do is then begin to mitigate or create positive value in the community by doing good things that positively impact those same issues. So, for example, um, if, you, um, if you emit a lot of carbon emissions, you can then plant trees, and that would be one way to mitigate that issue. For water, you could um, restore natural habitats around the banks of the water to make sure that you're um, reducing stormwater pollution that goes into the water, so you're protecting clean water sources. So there's lots of ways just through your community work that you can actually help to mitigate and create positive value. And and so you started um, not directly as a part of of Genesee and and, and Fifco USA, but but you you started basically consulting with them on some of their their strategy corporate relations. And so I'm curious from your perspective, um, how has how has Fifco, as a parent company, how have you tried to bring some of those principles to Genesee Brewery? I'm not going to say that they didn't care about you know the environment or care about their people before, but it's certainly a, a greater focus now with, with this triple bottom line. And it's got to be a, a culture shift. As we said, it's very easy to explain the triple bottom line, much harder to enact it. So what has that kind of evolution been like? So, so Fifco, as a company, is recognized as one of the world's most sustainable companies um, by the World Economic Forum. So mm-hmm. big um, shoes to fill. In the U.S., it's it's always been about just starting small, focusing, and starting somewhere. So we have really focused in on our Northeast neighborhood. And it's all just a very stakeholder-driven approach, talking to people, understanding their expectations of you as a company, as a brewery, and then making sure that from your business perspective, things line up and then taking small steps forward as a community. So those are basically the things that we do. Prior to coming to um, North American Breweries, now FIFCO USA, um, I mostly worked in a more promotional way with the brewery. So from like a brand public relations perspective, promoting it. It's interesting now to see how that has evolved. And a lot of our triple bottom line strategies are brand driven and fit naturally with brands. So as you can see, like a lot of what we've been doing in Rochester is with the Genesee brand. And it all fits and connects very naturally with the brand. Yeah, you know, part of part of what happens when you're putting out these these great strategies or like I mentioned, you know, VW before. I remember when I was growing up, you know, Nike put out these great ads of how excellence was so important. And then there was scandals in terms of what was going on and, you know, developing countries with some of their sweatshops and things like that. Right. So one of the things that triple bottom line or conscious capitalism is, is about how do we fully, fully live this? And so that it's not just, you know, like the, they'll talk about greenwashing, right, mm-hmm. where you're just talking about the, the green and then maybe uh, doing it 
purely for the corporate relations? How do we instead ingrain it into our into our DNA? I think you have to start internal first. Um, make sure you have the right people who are committed to the right things. Um, and at FIFCO USA, we are all measured by in those three areas. So it's not just um, our business performance, but also our so we have social indicators and environmental indicators that make up our company scorecard. Most of our, all of our executives have those um, indicators on their individual, as their individual KPIs. So I think that's like really important. I think making sure that um, every level of staff is involved in those things. So when we talk about the brewery, like you could go on the floor and people would be very, very passionate about recycling because employees have actually built those programs. Mm. And I think that's really very important. And then as you move externally, I think it's very difficult, but staying extremely focused. Um, that means you have to say no to a lot of people, but staying focused um, allows you to um, get results, get some results. And once you start getting results and then coming back with those results, um, you start to build and, and you, want, you want to build momentum overall. So as you mentioned, the, the people, planet, profit, the, that triple bottom line, uh, the, the people side, though, can be both internal or external. But you're, as you're mentioning, it really makes a lot of sense to, to start internal and, and to really live it first. So can you talk about any, any programs that have been implemented or anything that you're working on that, uh, you know, for your employees of, of how do we take, you know, better care of our employees or, or how do we create a, a better culture internally and at, at Genesee and FIFCO USA? Sure. So there's been a lot of different leadership training programs. Um, we have a learning development area as well. Um, besides that, I think, I mean, culture is created by, you know, one-on-one -on -one interactions. So we're trying to find and recruit the best people for the best positions, we have made some changes, and, and those changes, I think, have been very good for the brewery because we're just finding people who better interact with our, um, with our employees. For example, our new, um, our new head of manufacturing in the U.S. comes to um, Rochester, works out of Rochester 50% of the time, and one thing that he immediately changed was from 9 to 11, he has, like, shop floor time. All the managers are out talking with employees for two hours. You're not allowed to you're not allowed to schedule meetings or be up at your desk. It's all about the personal interaction because that's how culture is actually built. It's through people to people contact. Absolutely. Yeah. And and everybody certainly the 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 managers need to need to live and breathe it. Um, but as you're mentioning, it's those one on one interactions. And so it's really Every one of us is at least has some part in being kind of the the co-authors of of that culture that we're trying to create. So I, I think that's, that's right. really important for people to uh, to recognize how they have to be a part of the change, no matter what level they're at. That's right, and we've also made some physical changes to our environment, and that's going to continue. So we we do have like open work plan. We've had that for a while. More people will be in open work work environments. I think that's been good for culture as well. Um, we've upgraded break rooms. There's more on the way. Um, those physical environmental changes, we I think, go a long way with employees. We have a very old building, and we've you know started with some of the areas that we really needed to invest, like our brewery. We invested fifty million dollars in that, um, but now there's um, opportunities moving forward to, to to go into some other areas as well. 
Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if if you're the one responsible, but that that toast the tanks as as you were as you were bringing your tanks down the uh, down the the Erie Canal that that got a lot of a lot of play. So so well done on the corporate relations side of getting Thank that uh, getting that out there. And I think a lot of the a, a lot of so we we have a philosophy of doing when we when we um, publicize do something first, make sure it works, and then. Um, move forward with like the publicity piece of it when we're doing any of um, the investments and things that we're doing in the community. I think when we do it, um, it builds a lot of pride with our employees. Like they get very excited to see our company in that light. And we've seen over the last few years in terms of our great places to work score, community pride really jump in that area. Great. So that leads right into, you know, we were talking about the the internal side of the people, uh, the, the, the people part of the bottom line. Um, what about the external? I know that there's a, a community that you've really been trying to integrate yourselves in and and there's a lot of a lot of different stakeholders involved. Um, what kind of things are you working on and, and what maybe are some lessons learned? Because I think that other organizations that may want to adopt a triple bottom line or may want to engage with their community and stakeholders um, may have a lot to learn from the, the things that you've been working on at Genesee. I think to start small, but be inclusive. So make sure the right groups are represented. So a lot of times when you're in a business community, you forget residents, but residents are a big part of any community. So involving residents, I think, um, is critical to anyone's success. You need them. And by improving the communities around where you work or brew beer, um, you invite you know more people into those communities. So I, I think that's a big piece. Um, having like a small group of just trusted advisors in those stakeholder groups. So for example, a few environmental leaders who you really trust, a few social leaders who you or community leaders who you trust, people who re- represent um, residents who are very trusted advisors and meeting with them regularly to make sure you're on the right, you know, in the right steps. I think probably the most important thing that I've learned and done with FIFGO USA is making sure that it is stakeholder driven. So you might think it's a great idea to, you know, plan a community garden, but if residents and the community doesn't want it, that garden dies mm. the next year and it, it becomes almost like a slap in the face to that community. So making sure the projects that you take on are things that the community really wants because once they embrace it, then it's sustainable. And really the triple bottom line is about creating sustainable communities um, as well as a sustainable business. So are are there any examples of things that have uh, come from some of those discussions and dialogues and feedback sessions with stakeholders of of programs or events or things that they're asking for, maybe even that you haven't been able to enact yet that you're hoping to do at some point? So this is my, a little bit of my pet project, I have to admit. But um, there is a park called High Falls Terrace Park right next door to the Genesee Brew House. And it's a park that has been underutilized and has been a little bit in disrepair over the years. Um, a few years ago, we um, there was a lot of drug traffic and crime mm. in that park as well. A few years ago, we just started cleaning up the park, um, paying more attention to it, doing like little plantings, working with the city, doing like minor projects. Then we started talking to um, the residents across the street at St. Simon's Terrace and started asking them, like, what would they want in a park? And um, it was interesting. They they told us very, very simple things that, like, um, picnic tables and grills 
And then we walked through with the city and then they got their picnic tables and their grills. And then we added garbage cans and recycling. And and then um, we did mo- we invested more into that park. And then the city came back and invested more into that park. And suddenly, um, you know, we were having our Rock the Falls event in that park. And um, there was the city then cleared views so that you could see the beautiful waterfalls that were, you know, hidden by trees for many years. And and slowly, but with focus, with focus, and not a lot of dollars, but just a lot of energy and passion, and people, um, we've transformed together. Not we, the brewery, but as a community, we've transformed a park and made it a place where you can now go. I remember after Rock the Falls, I drove by the park to make sure everything was cleaned up properly, and there were like thirty little kids playing in the hmm. park. What a amazing feeling to see like children who don't really have a lot of access to green space playing in a park. Like, why not? Um, So to me, that's like just a very small example, but an example of just a stakeholder-driven project that has benefited everyone. Yeah, no, I don't think that's small at all. I think that, uh, you know, getting certainly their buy-in and and helping them feel like they're part owners of, of creating that. And then not only them utilizing it, but them, you know, hopefully wanting to, you know, maybe they see some litter and they want to pick it up because they feel ownership of this, of this park that they're, you know, that, that they're a part of. And it wasn't something done to them, but it was something that they did with you all at, at Genesee. And I think that, I think that when we're talking about sustainability, um, as you alluded to, thinking about it much more broadly than environmental sustainability, but what is the sustainability, not only of your business, but the sustainability of these, of these projects that you're developing, because you can dump a whole lot of money and maybe get great PR from it of, Hey, here's this great, you know, park that we're, that we're, you know, investing in. But if a year or two later, it goes back to looking like it used to look, then, um, you know, are we really accomplishing that, that goal that we're, that we're trying to achieve? Correct. So, I'm sure when you invite all these different stakeholders into the room, it also becomes a challenge. You know, there's there's a lot of whether competing priorities or or different interests or you know maybe just different different ideas. Um, what has been some of the challenges of having this more stakeholder driven approach as you're as you're trying to integrate yourself into the community? I think initially it was it was honestly saying no to some groups. Um, you know we moved away from doing a lot of the like $1,000 requests or little sponsorships to trying to focus our dollars to do more with those dollars and have them go further for the community, make a better impact. So, you know, we'll get a lot of requests. um, And when they don't meet our triple bottom line strategy, or if they're not connected to an employee, um, we often have, we often say no um, so that we can, you know, properly invest into our triple bottom line strategies. So what about the intersection of the, because you're talking about the, the people part of the triple bottom line, there's the, there's the internal and the culture, and then there's the kind of external and the community and the stakeholders. What about the intersection of those two things? Are there, are there any ways, how do you find ways to integrate the employees, you know, into maybe some of these community efforts or get their ideas or get their feedback or get them engaged in, in some of the community efforts? So I think that's a great question, and I, I think that our volunteer programs have done that. Um, you know, bringing our volunteers to some of the same locations with community partners year over year over year has helped to foster relationships between the community and our employees. I actually think it's 
been a critical part of our success. In addition, we've done some smaller programs that we hope to expand. Simple, very simple ideas. I, I dare to even call them programs, but just in, again, like a High Falls Terrace Park, doing a community day with free hot dogs and inviting both our employees and the community so people could build relationships. Because again, like both internally, when I said it's it's all about people to people, same thing as externally. It's all mm. about people to people. And that's another reason why you need to stay focused because you need to really develop authentic relationships. Not, you know, it's not about just writing a check. It's about like truly understanding people and earning their respect and um, asking for their advice, for their help giving them your support, and that takes time. So do employees opt into these sorts of, uh, you know, involvements? Or are they kind of outside of their typical workday? Or, like, how do you, how do you find the employees that are, that are really bought in and, and want to do it? And is there anything for, for those that aren't interested, you know, do they, do they just get to stay at the, at the brewery? Or, or, or what kinds of, you know, there's always those challenges in terms of different levels of buy-in from employees. So overall, all of our employees are required to volunteer a set number of hours a year. Okay. We build lots of different projects throughout the year, and they have a choice on the different types of projects that they can. All of our major projects align with our footprints. So we have one around food because we have a brew house, and our parent company is a food and beverage company. And it's a critical issue in Rochester given the poverty rate, hunger. So um, in the fall, right now, we're doing a lot of hunger-based programs. So there's opportunities for employees to volunteer there. Um, In our community, specifically in the Northeast District, we're doing some things um, with Habitat for Humanity. Because again, when we improve the community, it improves the overall environment. Um, So there's opportunities there. Then we'll move into the spring where we have more outdoor activities. Some will be here. Some will be with the Nature Conservancy and the Cummings Nature Center, other groups outside of this immediate area. And there will be new opportunities there as well. So um, everyone has to find something that they like to do. And we give, I think, a good variety of projects um, for people to choose from. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you present a broad enough array, you hope that everybody finds something that they can that they can be engaged in. Certainly, most of our employees like really look forward to volunteering, especially when um, they can work on projects they get really excited about. And I would hope, anyways, that that would start to be a little bit you know self reinforcing, right? Where you you start to find those employees and get them excited about volunteering, and then maybe that even becomes a an attraction strategy for you know people who like to volunteer in the community are more likely to want to apply and maybe are more likely to stick around and reduce turnover. So there there I like to think, anyways. Um, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of self-interest, right? It's an, it's an enlightened self-interest to say, yeah, we're volunteering, but there, there's positive impacts to our company and, and to the bottom line. That's part of what the triple bottom line is all about, right? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's definitely a purpose-driven strategy, but at the same time, it is a business strategy. I just presented not too long ago in front of our, in, our internal team, and the number one message I gave is this is not a philanthropic strategy because philanthropic strategies aren't integrated within the business, they're a side part, nice to have if we can, if we, if we operate a business that works, nice to have philanthropy, right? No, 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 no. FIFCO USA, the triple bottom line is integrated within the business strategy, and that's what makes it truly unique and sustainable long term. Mm. I, I'm totally on board. I'm, I'm really excited because I've seen 
really such a transformation. Um, I, I've heard some of the some of the stories uh, being told about how you know Genesee before it was acquired was you know from from what I hear weeks away from shutting its doors before this this acquisition and has really had quite a turnaround. Uh, not only you know financially, but certainly in the, in the way that it's you know, revived the brand and, and the, the awareness and the community and, and, and the support of the community as well. The, the community, I think, is the broad community has seen all the investments that you've been making and, and how you really have that, that triple bottom line that takes the community as, a, as an important stakeholder. And so um, I'm curious, though, you talked a little bit earlier about sort of measuring what matters, right? Like you have, it's important to have these triple bottom line, you know, philosophy, but then when you enact it, you know, if all you have at the, at the end of the day is you're looking at the, at the profits, you're looking at the bottom line, then you're going to tend to maximize those sorts of things. So what are some of the ways that you measure what matters? It sounds like you're, you're taking the, the great place to work survey. What are some of the other ways that you measure either your, your culture or your community engagement or your employee engagement? How are, you, how are you measuring what matters in the company and that triple bottom line ethos? So environment is the easiest. So we, we um, look at all three areas. So waste, we call it we, um, water emissions and waste. In all those three, we benchmark the data Every year we have um, a new goal. We have an 80%, 100%, 120% goal. And um, we have to build a plan to achieve that reduced um, usage metric in all three of those areas. Or usage or, you know, from a waste perspective, it would be a diversion metric. Sure. Um, and then from, an, from a community environmental perspective, we measure everything we do. So, like, um, we actually weigh the trash that we take out of the community. Um, we work with um, partners who are able to tell us how much water we mitigated through some of our efforts. We count how many trees we plant. <laughs> we kind of get pretty geeky about that kind of <laughs> stuff. And then from a community perspective, we uh, measure how many hours our employees spend in the community. We dice up those hours in terms of footprints excuse me, social and environmental footprints. So those are some other ways. Um, from a people perspective, we do great places to work and those are cut lots of different ways and are pretty expansive. Um, so those are some of the ways that we um, measure what we do. Everyone, depending on their role in the company, has different metrics around sure. those um, around those areas. So, Okay, yeah. You know, I, th- I think that just... At the very least, being able to think about well, what are, what are our goals, or where can we have an impact? Because you know, somebody who's maybe not in production, maybe the maybe that environmental footprint isn't as uh, you know as big of an opportunity. We'll say to 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 mitigate some of those sort, certain things if you're a you know service business or whatever the case may be. So finding finding where you may have some um, some opportunities to to make an impact on any element of the triple bottom line and figuring out what the most important metrics are and, and how, to, how to optimize them and at least have them you know, on your scorecard or your dashboard or whatever it is so that it's, it's equally, uh, equally important to, the, to that profit number, which usually gets measured just because it's an easier thing to measure. Yeah, I like to also tally some of the results of our triple bottom line activities. So sometimes they're not necessarily something that shows up on our scorecard, but it might be that we were able to um, a move a pe- move through a piece of our operations quicker, faster, with mm. less red tape because of our reputation. And I can show how we do that. 
or there might be like public investment around our facility because we've also been investing in our facility, like the investment that go, is going into High Falls Terrace Park from the city and the state. So those are like, um, you know, not necessarily things that we put on our scorecard, um, but things that we like to show in, internally because when we do have the occasional naysayer, um, which truly it is a very occasional mm. um, at FIFCO USA, um, it's nice to be able to show the impact the triple bottom line has. Yeah, well, and there's 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 statistics, um, but but stories are are powerful and, and compelling ways to to win people over to hopefully uh, pull at their at their heartstrings a little bit and and show some of the kind of the qualitative impacts and being able to being able to share those stories and the the lives impacted and maybe the people in the community that have been impacted. Um, I think one of the most underappreciated elements of, of good leadership is, is good storytelling, being able to share those. That's true. You know, it's interesting too. We've, um, we have started with some of our brands integrating triple bottom line programming right into the brand programs. Mm. And we have had sales success as well, which is, I think, extremely interesting. Um, in fact, one of our products, um, lost a major, one of our brands lost a major sports, um, marketing relationship in a, in a market. And we replaced it with a triple bottom line program. Hmm. And it actually, that brand grew 6% year over year using a triple bottom line program campaign versus uh, a significant national or, you know, sports sponsorship. So it's interesting to show that, like, even from a sales volume perspective, if done correctly and, again, authentically integrated in the right ways and with the right touch points to the consumer, it actually can drive sales volume as well. Well, I love to hear that. And, and I think you're totally right. The authenticity piece of it is, is absolutely Huge. key. Um, you know, people are starting to be more discerning with where they spend their dollars and, you know, being conscious consumers, I'll, I'll call them, where, you know, how am I – supporting businesses in, that align with my values or that are giving back to the community. Um, but it's great to hear that, that that is showing up in the bottom line, um, but you do have to be authentic about it because I think part of the reason that this triple bottom line or this conscious capitalism approach um, is only gaining more and more uh, momentum is because of the transparency that gets created when we each have a broadcasting device in our pocket and in you know in cell phones with with cameras and the internet and all those sorts of things where if you're not living that authentically pretty quickly if you have either a bad brand experience or if it is just kind of that that greenwashing or I don't know purpose washing or whatever the kind of equivalent would be that people recognize that that lack of integrity, lack of authenticity pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, we have had, I mean, what I get really excited about is I think most of our people are really passionate about the triple bottom line. So I'll get a call from a brand manager saying, I'm doing this big commercial event. I want to work with you to put together like some really great smart consumption strategies because we want to make sure people are enjoying our product but are doing so responsibly. And they're bringing those things to me now where, you know, three or four years ago, that might have been something that from a, you know, FIFCO would have to, you know, bring to us. I think it's nice to see now, like everybody has already like embraced the triple bottom line, understands it and has built it into their commercial strategy as well as, you know, from a operations perspective, it's, it's built in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I truly believe uh, that in the long term anyways, 
the, the, the profits are, are flowing and being reinforced by the culture, by, by the people, by the, by the environmental uh, you know, side of things. But sometimes there are difficult decisions to make in the short term, right? So I'm wondering if there's any stories that, that you'd be able to share or, or willing to share um, about a time when either you or the organization had to make one of those decisions where it was, yeah, maybe this is going to cost us a bit in the short term, uh, you know, but, but we had to prioritize our, our people and our purpose and our culture. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, I think in the long term, probably the best for the, for the profits, but maybe not in the mm-hmm. short term. I was trying to think about, you know, if you were going to ask me this question, how I would answer it. Because I can't think of like a really strong example other than like how we operate some of our special events. So just a quick example, but our keg tree lighting, it would be (laughs) very, you know, which attracts thousands of people. It would be very easy for us to just set up shop and, you know, sell a ton of food in our parking lot and make wreaths and sell them and... Um, take all the profits. But instead, we really want to create a community feel. So we invite food trucks at no cost to come onto our property Mm. and sell. They have a great night. Um, And um, at the same time, like our, you know, our visitors get a great variety of Rochester food. Um, We invite other vendors, you know, at no cost to come on our facility in in our area to do those types of things. And and um, we've talked about like the fact that we want to do that because we think it's the right thing to do to bring in other business and, and have our, that event support lots of other businesses. This year we had Green Visions, part of Greentopia, come in and um, sell live wreaths. And then we donated some back to the community, which I guess were delivered on Friday. Nice. And people absolutely love the beautiful um, wreaths by Green Visions. Um, so those are all things that we do and incorporate and talk really seriously about because we want to make sure that like while we want to make we want to have a great event and have a great experience at our events for our consumers um at the same time we want it to be seen as beneficial to the community as well. I think that's a perfect example, you know, it, too often we're we're thinking about whether or not that that you know might might be taking away from the profitability of a of a specific event. Um, but even as you were talking, it reminded me of, uh, and, and forgive me, I can't remember the name, but, but you had an event where you were some folks that may potentially be seen as competition, uh, you know, other craft brewers and things that, you know, are, are maybe could take away from, from your specific sales. And you had an event where you invited a whole bunch of craft brewers in addition to some of the, the pilot brewery and the, and the things that you're working on internally to have that kind of festival where, we're not seeing as competition. We can grow the we can grow the pie for for everyone. So so tell us a little bit about the the thought process behind that. So Rochester has an amazing beer community who works together regularly, shares ideas, and you know what you need to think about when people come to visit breweries, they don't visit one. They typically visit several. So in order to um, attract visitors to the region and beer 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 um, tourism is you know, a great industry right now. Um, You have to work together and make sure you all are making great beer. Um, So having the brewing community work together, share ideas at times, like um, partner up to brew some interesting beers. Um, We love to let, you know, to um, share ideas with breweries, but then also invite them into our lab and facilities to do their own testing. Um, We do some training around taste um, taste training for brewers. And that is really just to build up the beer community, which we believe in. We are so lucky to have so many wonderful breweries 
in this area and it only benefits everyone um, to have people come here and try them all. Absolutely agree. I, I think that that is, that is like the, the next frontier um, for, for conscious capitalism in a, in a lot of ways is how can you even see your, your competitors as stakeholders in a lot of cases, right? Like, like they are an important part. I think that as those craft breweries grow, maybe you can teach them a few things. Maybe you even, you know, learn or, or a few things from them about different crazy ideas or crazy recipes that they're trying. And, and you know, ultimately, the more that you're all encouraging people to, uh, to get more interested in the whole craft beer movement and get more interested in learning about the process. I know it's you know fascinating to to come learn about the the process. You do a great job in the brew house of kind of showing the process of of beer making and really developing those consumers that that care. And that's not a that's not a, a win lose strategy. It can be it's not zero sum. It can be positive sum when when you're working together. Absolutely. When people ask me my stance on beer, I said we're pro beer. All right, all right. <laughs> that's a, that's a hard to hard to get. There's a lot of division in this country, but it, that's that's one thing that that unites a lot of people. Uh, so tell us a little bit, because I think in addition to learning about how to, you know, learn best practices from, from organizations, people also want to hear about uh, individuals and, and the evolution of, of leadership in general. So I'm, I'm curious about your career path. Was, was this something, you know, there's, there's more and more people that are, you know, intentionally going out to work for a conscious business or a triple bottom line company. Um, was that something that was, always of interest to you, maybe even before, you know, the, the words existed, that, that ethos, or was it something that just the opportunity presented itself and you really got jazzed up about it? How did, how did you get inspired about uh, triple bottom line? I would say overall, like the, the not-for-profit sector has always been interesting to me. I started my career um, with a small agency and then quickly moved to Eric Mower and Associates and then left for a couple years to work for a not-for-profit and then rejoined the company. Um, to build their brand public relations practice over the years. But throughout that time, I was always very involved um, with not-for-profit um, groups, particularly ones in the area of like social justice. Um, those those um, diversity, social justice, um, equal access to education, those are just things that are very personally important to me. Um, so I've always been interested in like, trying to help and advance some of those in some of those areas. Um, not per, you know, I, I really did enjoy my time at Eric Mower and Associates, now the Mower Agency. Um, but when this opportunity came up, I saw it as extremely interesting because I hadn't worked specifically in corporate on the corporate relations side, more on the brand and marketing side of public relations. And this was a neat opportunity because I could come in and um, still do public relations you know, what I really love to do, but um, learn more about um, environmental sustainability, um, be more hands-on in terms of community relations. So it was, it was a great opportunity for me. And um, there, you know, it was a position that, um, you know, I was the first in the position, so I got to create it and learn. I've learned a ton from FIFCO, who, you know, is an unbelievable company. Um, they've mentored me and helped me along the way. So it's been an amazing journey for me personally. Yeah, it, it's really interesting that, that you had always this this pull to nonprofit life, right? Or, or at least that that purpose. Because I think we've certainly had plenty of business owners and business leaders on the podcast talking about maybe that more of a community-minded or nonprofit-esque type of purpose. Um, we've also had 
nonprofit leaders who are trying to dip their toe into the water of social entrepreneurship and how to have a, a for-profit entity inside mm-hmm. of a, a nonprofit business. And, and I think in a lot of ways, conscious capitalism blurs the lines a little bit, uh, you know, between the for-profit and the nonprofit realm, saying that, uh, you know, those for-profit companies can still have a, a purpose beyond profits. Uh, it's certainly something that, that you at, at uh, FIFCO USA embody. And, and at the same time, when we, when we do that, uh, there, there's an element where, you know, why, why do we have to draw this distinction? So, so, you, so you had that that interest, and in and I think that it's neat that you didn't necessarily have to leave the for profit realm to to find that that purposeful way of 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 living and of of working and, and having your career. Um, what about inside of of FIFCO? You said kind of some of the the training that you've had, but just in general, um, what do you do to you know, there, there's a certain evolution of a leader in an organization and how to get them to become more conscious, so to speak, or, or more of a community-minded, uh, the, the types of leaders that you're trying to grow is, is really, really important. Um, are there any specific programs or, or things that you do inside the organization to take the stock of people that you have and, and evolve them to, to be the leaders for the future? Yeah, our talent team definitely has programs and they follow um, a leadership model of management. Um, it's a very flat model where everyone's ideas matter, um, and the company has spent a lot of time trying to integrate that. There's been training specifically at Genesee around, um, you know, new talent models that um, help to improve like culture and getting people to interact with one another in just very positive ways. So yeah, it's it's definitely been um, a focus of ours. But again, like really the emphasis has been on like people to people interaction and how mm. that impacts culture. So it's something that we talk about. And I feel like um, repetition is key. So the more we do, um, the more we do things that align with our triple bottom line culture and name it and bring attention to it internally, the more it catches on. And slowly you see people, you know, gaining so much excitement around some of the activities that we're doing and taking pride and the reputation that we have in the community that people just begin to evolve personally and professionally. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's really huge. Is sometimes uh, more than more than the the classroom or more than the workshop or more than sitting down or you know reading a book, um, experiencing it, uh, behaving, you know, doing doing the actions of going out into the community and seeing the the impact and maybe seeing even the the lives of the people that you're that you're impacting and, and touching. I think that. I think that that really does a lot to it's it's very powerful to to create that kind of of leader through uh, through through experience. I've met some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life in northeast northeast Rochester, standing at a block club meeting and watching the resiliency, pride, and passion of people who are living um, who are living proudly in neighborhoods that need our love and support. Um, I think that has been probably the most humbling experience, and I feel very privileged to have been a part of some of those conversations for sure. Mm, a great story, and, and something I think that any of any businesses, whether in in Rochester or or around the country, around the world, can certainly learn from. You know, as you're going out into your community, what does this person have to offer? What what kind of institutional or community knowledge do, do they bring to the table and, and how can we support them and, and learn from them and see them as you know equal partners versus somebody that we're going to do some programs to. 
Exactly. I think um, going into situations, and it's very difficult, but trying to not have expectations and letting them unfold naturally is really important. So not going in kind of thinking, this is what I think I'm going to do. This is what I think I'm going to do. This is who I think I'm going to meet. Here's how I think they're going to react. Just truly going in, opening, open-minded, being a great listener, and letting letting it unfold before you, I think, is a true opportunity for leadership. So I, I, I think uh, it goes without saying that I certainly buy in. It seems like you all at FIFCO buy in. Um, but there's definitely, this, this isn't yet, I think it's moving in that direction, but it isn't yet the norm. It isn't yet mainstream to, uh, to go triple bottom line or conscious capitalism. But there's, there's an ROI to it. You know, the best companies to work for, it, it shows that they tend to beat the S&P 500, the conscious capitalism companies even more so. Um, but what do you think keeps more businesses from adopting a conscious capitalism, triple bottom line type of a strategy? I think it's they think it's a philanthropic instead of a business approach. They don't understand the model. Because when you understand the model, it's all about like under, it's really like an insurance policy for your reputation. Mm. Um, it's an opportunity to promote your business and drive growth of your business. Um, like I said, like, too often, I think people come in and say, that's very nice that you do that. And it's, it's truly, it's, it's driven by a strategy. So I, I think that's when people understand the strategy and can actually see the results and impacts of that strategy, they're more apt to uh, adopt it. So as you mentioned before, starting small, maybe not, not, uh, not promising too much, but is there any other ways that you'd recommend just to kind of get started down this path? I I would have stakeholder discussions, map out your stakeholders, figure out who the people are that truly influence your business, start having open-ended discussions um, to understand what their expectations are of companies in general, what their expectations are of your company, um, what are some of the areas that they um, they think you do well, what are some of the areas that they think you don't do well, and start um, collecting that data and then run it through your pipeline against your business and see where there might be like one or one or two areas where you can start. Great. Kind of some some informal market research, but also maybe maybe internal, maybe external. Um, listening. What a what a novel concept. Exactly. <laughs> and then after you've done it, after you've done it and done it successfully, beginning to properly ampl- amplify it. So starting with your internal audiences first, because they're the closest to you your closest business partners, and then moving out for, to your stakeholders and part of your stakeholder community media. So amplifying it eventually, but after you've actually done it. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Well, I, I hope that uh, listening will not only inspire people uh, and business owners especially to want to wanna move down this path, but hopefully gives them some, that, that's a really actionable thing. It, it doesn't, it seems a lot less daunting when all you got to start with is just listening. Talk, so listen, thanks for that. Talking and listening. Yeah. I love it. Um, what about, what do you see for the future of, of Genesee, of, of FIFCO USA, of maybe your impact in the community or where, where do you see maybe five or 10 years, it, the, the purpose kind of growing or evolving? What are you dreaming about? Well, I hope as the business continues to grow, our triple bottom line impacts will grow as well. So we've made a lot of investments over the last couple years into our business and our business model 
to create a more sustainable model specifically for Genesee, so a $50 million investment. We have multiple small investments that we're making again this year to continue on that path. One of the largest um, and most significant shifts we made is some investments into our commercial business so we can sell more beer. And as we're able to sell more beer and our business grows, then we can then grow. Um, with that, we grow our in- overall approach to our triple bottom line. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, I think that's that's very important. And when when you're when you're supporting when you, when you're drinking your your Jenny Cream Ale or whatever your your Jenny of choice is, uh, you know that you are supporting Rochester and supporting the community. And 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 I think, anyways, um, if we had more organizations, if we even became known in Rochester for that conscious capitalism, triple bottom line approach, um, Rochester would be a would be a different place if if more organizations truly lived and breathed this model. And I think that it's not. Not only would be good for for Rochester as a whole and the communities that were, that were a part of that that there are many that are certainly have have great need, um, but but I think it also can become an economic development strategy, right? Like Absolutely. it can be the way that that Rochester uh, those businesses in Rochester grow and in Rochester as a whole grows. Oh, I totally agree. Well. Thank you so much for joining. I can't believe how how quickly our time has passed. Uh, maybe we'll have to hear about some future things that you're working on. We'll have you back at some point. But thank you so much, Mary Beth, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Andrew. Really appreciate your time. This episode is brought to you by Wicked Squid Studios, Rochester, New York's premier podcast development team. The Wicked Squid family brings ideas to life through the art of audio production. From custom jingles and creative services to studio memberships and educational curriculum, their outfit strives to empower all members of society to build a more equal and colorful world. Learn more about their operation at wickedsquidstudios.com.